task for today is to look at persecution of the church in the book of Acts. That is, times when believers suffered or faced hardship, ridicule and oppression from individuals and authorities for their faith. We shall settle on the first three verses of the eighth chapter of the book of Acts, where we find the church facing adversity. We shall ask two questions on today's text and conclude with a few observations. The first question is, what led to the persecution that ravaged the church? And the second is, how did the believers respond? With that said, let us then go to our text, which is Acts chapter 8, verse 1 to 3, and we shall read it together. And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. It is important to note that this is not the first nor the last time that believers face hardship for what they believed. Earlier in chapter 5, the apostles were arrested by the Jewish council and admonished not to preach Jesus publicly. Later in chapter 17, it is recorded that Paul and Silas were even pursued to Berea by the Jews from Thessalonica for preaching about the risen Christ. Furthermore, in Revelation chapter 2 verse 10, our Lord Jesus strengthened the church in Smyrna to face the impending hardship. But this wave of persecution was quite peculiar considering the events which resulted from it. As we ask what led to the persecution, let us set the scene. To do so, let us take a few steps back to chapter 6. Here we have a trial of a man known as Stephen. He is the defendant. In verses 2 to 5, we are told that he was one of the seven chosen to serve as a deacon. He was a Greek-speaking Jew and a man full of the Holy Spirit. Verses 8 and 10 tell us that his flawless reasoning and great wonders confounded his opposition. And the plaintiff, the Hellenistic Jews, and among them those from the synagogue of freed men. That is, verse, those are verses 8 to verse 10. Verses 11 and 13 inform us of the charges, which were blasphemy against God, Moses, the temple, and the law. And finally, the customary witnesses for good measure, also found in verses 11 and 13. To make it official, the case was brought before the council, that is the said hedron, which was the highest Jewish court headed by the high priest, that is verse 12. Then we move to chapter 7, which records Stephen's defense from verses 2 to 53. He actually gave them an indicting history lesson and an exceptional exposition on God, the temple, the law, and Moses, as well as their father's rebellion and disobedience, of which they now shared by hanging Jesus on the cross. At this point, the judgment Stephen brought against them was so scathing that they stoned him to death. The actual execution was probably the only right thing they did. For the law prescribed such a sentence to one who had blasphemed the name of the Lord. According to Leviticus 24 verses 14 and 16, the guilty party ought to be cast out of the city and the witnesses be the first to stone him. 
Moreover, anyone who was accused of being an apostate, that is, anyone who has defected and worshipped another god besides the living god of Israel, on account of at least two witnesses, and after a thorough investigation, were found to be guilty, the penalty would be capital punishment. The witnesses would cast the first stones, thus bearing the weightiness and of the testimony and the burden of its truthfulness. If still alive, the people would follow with their stones. This was a way for them to purge the evil from their midst, as it is prescribed in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 2 to 7. Now, the young man named Saul would have been aware of what the law had prescribed when he approved of the execution, and this appears to have been the motivation behind Saul ravaging the church to extinguish the evil which threatened to ravage Israel. Yet the author of Acts makes it clear that due process had not been followed. Justice, in fact, had not prevailed. I present to you Exhibit A. According to Acts chapter 6, verses 11, 13, and 14, the witnesses were hired by Stephen's accusers to lie. They committed perjury. Exhibit B. According to chapter 7, verse 57, the judgment was in haste instead of a careful consideration of the evidence. Upon hearing Stephen's defense, they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They could not wait before they stoned Stephen. And exhibit C, chapter 7, verse 60. Stephen's plea to God on behalf of the people who had committed this great injustice. With his last breath, he pleaded to the Lord and said, Do not hold the sin against them. All three of these points indicate the judgment Saul had overseen was unjust. With this gross subversion of justice, the voice and might of the gospel was extinguished at the feet of a young Pharisee named Saul. The believers, the Greek-speaking especially, fled throughout Judea and Samaria, while those who were left were ransacked by the fierce religious fervor of Saul. But the apostles remained to take care of the believers in Jerusalem, and Stephen was buried by devout men who mourned his death and did not approve of the execution. With this, the death of the church had begun. Or had it? The strange case of a Greek-speaking Jew was a spark that lit the flames of the persecution. This leads us to our second question, namely, how did the believers respond? If one were to stop reading the story at verse 3 of chapter 8, he might be tempted to deduce that the persecution led to believers fleeing for their lives and the church in hiding. For this was a time of terror and rampant imprisonment. Perhaps the death of the church was imminent, but that was not the case. Rather, this presented the opportunity for the gospel to go beyond Jerusalem, the gospel witness to the Samaritans, as it is accounted in Acts chapter 4, verses 4 to 24. According to verse 8, there was great joy in that city when the gospel was heard. Now, 2 Kings 17 verse 24 comes to mind as we consider the case of the Samaritans. For they were the descendants of those who intermarried with the Gentiles after Israel fell to Assyria around 722 BC. 
there was continuous contention between the Jews in Jerusalem and the Samaritans because they had intermarried. We see this in Ezra chapter 4, verses 1 to 10, when Zerubbabel returned with a group of Jews from the Babylonian exile, where the Samaritans had tried to prevent the rebuilding of the temple after their initial offer to assist was rejected. The relations were further strained when the Israelite, Israelite men divorced their pagan wives under the Ezra-led national repentance of chapter 10, verses 18 and following. We even find this in the time of Jesus' ministry, when he encountered a Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4, verse 9, when she readily admitted that Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. So the gospel reaching the Samaritans was a big deal. The Samaritans were part of the kingdom. Then the gospel witnessed to the Ethiopian official in Gaza, an African who was guided to Christ through scripture, that is chapter 8 of Acts verses 26 to 39, until the gospel reached Caesarea in verse 40 of the same chapter. Interestingly, Philip was the one who preached to the Samaritans. He revealed the thread from the prophet Isaiah to Christ for the Ethiopian official and witnessed in the cities on the way until he reached Caesarea. This same Philip was one of the seven chosen as deacons along with Stephen in chapter 6. He too was a man full of the spirit and of wisdom. So we learn that persecution was the means by which the church fulfilled the Lord's promise, as it is accounted in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, where Jesus told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the gift. And when they had re received the gift, he said, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The church in Jerusalem had begun to spread its, its wings upon the winds of persecution to reach Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Mind you, the apostles had no idea that the promise would be fulfilled in this manner. Another response we find is that the gospel turned a foe to an agent of the good news. In order to purge the threat which could have ravaged Israel, Saul became a bounty hunter in search of those who fled the persecution in Jerusalem. The scattered went as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, as accounted in chapter 11 of Acts, verse 19 and following. And Saul was determined to ensure they were imprisoned. Stephen's death, the resultant persecution, the believers scattered, as well as Saul's religious fervor endorsed by the high priest, set up the church's fiercest enemy for the good news. The conversion of Saul in Acts 9 reminds us of Stephen's last words to Jesus, where he said, Do not hold the sin against them, for Saul was the one who had approved of the execution. The church in Antioch is referred to as the sending church in Acts 13 verses 1 to 3 where Paul and Barnabas were separated and commissioned. He who acquired letters of death sent letters of life to believers as he suffered for his faith and spread the gospel to the Gentile world. Thus, the expansion and growth of the church was the result of the persecution. It turned the greatest foe to an agent, ensuring the gospel went from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth. Now that we've answered our two questions, namely, 
what led to the persecution? And secondly, how did the believers respond? How should we as God's people respond? How should we view persecution? Granted, not many of us are likely to be stoned uh, or suffer to the point of death. In fact, in South Africa, we are fortunate enough to be able to worship God, God openly. And the state does not really meddle in our affairs. Well, not at least not now, anyway. But there are places where God's people cannot worship openly and are forced to go underground. Places where preaching is rewarded with imprisonment or worse, death. For those who consider stoning primitive, there is the prospect of Twitter trolls ensuring you receive online stoning for your bigoted Christian beliefs. Thus, I shall offer three observations. Firstly, we ought to expect persecution. This is the cost of following Jesus. Jesus has warned his disciples that they would suffer because he too suffered. As Jesus was preparing to die on the cross in John 15 verse 20, he assured his disciples that they would not escape suffering. For the slave is not greater than the master. If they persecuted me, he said, they will also persecute you. If they obeyed my word, they will obey yours too. In his letter, the Apostle Peter even encouraged believers to not squirm but rejoice in times of persecution as they shared in the suffering of Christ. Secondly, we ought to have a high view of Christ and be sober about death. When in Acts 4, Peter and John were urged by the council not to preach and teach in the name of Jesus, the apostles stood firm in their response, stating, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. While in pain and facing the real prospect of death, Stephen in Acts chapter 7 verse 56 went beyond the temporal and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God, ready to receive him. So some will ride the wave of persecution, while others will be overcome by death. When the prospect of death is real, we ought to remember Paul's words to the believers in Rome, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Lastly, the greater the persecution the greater the need to do God's work. In the face of persecution, the apostles continued to minister to the believers. Philip and the other scattered believers continued to preach wherever they went. Paul suffered tremendously for the cause of Christ and did not relent. And Jesus continued his work, even though the very people he came to save rejected him. So we as God's people ought to expect persecution have a high view of Christ, and continue God's 